This is Michael Cowan, and welcome to Trial Lawyer Nation. When the jury panel comes into the courtroom and the bailiff says, all rise, I know we're here. And it doesn't matter who they are, nobody should be above the law. A lot of us talk about that, but you actually done it. That's how you also maintain quality control over your practice. Yeah. That's a question I get asked a lot, and here's the answer. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Trial Lawyer Nation. Your source to win bigger verdicts, get more cases, and manage your law firm. And now, here's your host, noteworthy author, sought-after speaker, and renowned trial lawyer, Michael Cowan. Today on Trial Lawyer Nation, I have Natalie Arledge and Dylan Piercy. Natalie and Dylan are lawyers here at our firm, and we all attended the Academy of Truck Accident Attorneys Annual Symposium in Nashville. And I thought it would be useful to kind of chat and see, you know, what they learned. We have kind of three different levels of experience in trucking law and, and what people got out of this seminar to see if it would be useful to any of our listeners. So how are you all doing today? Good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing all right. It's a Monday morning, but it's excellent. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, I want to go through so people kind of get where everyone's coming from, because I think we view seminars differently in what we learn depending on what we come in with. So, Natalie, what kind of trucking experience do you have, and what kind of kind of general legal experience do you have? So, I actually have a defense background. Um, we did do some defense work with trucking cases. Um, we did some slip and falls. Um, so, I did have a little taste of trucking on the defense side um, in years past, um, but now I've been with your firm for almost two years, and so I'm about two years in on the plaintiff side, and we do mostly trucking here. So. And how many years out of law school? Uh, I am seven years out of law school. Okay. And Dylan? And Michael, I'm three years out of law school, and I also come from the defense side. I would say 70% of my docket was probably spent on small car accident cases before I came to work for you a few months ago, but 50% of my time was probably on trucking cases. And so it's very interesting to see it from the plaintiff's side and the plaintiff's perspective and fill in the gaps that you know, I might have had an idea about, and now I'm learning a lot more of where those ideas really should land. So was this your first plaintiff CLE? This is not my first plaintiff CLE. Okay. I uh, went to law school later in life, so I've gone to a lot of CLEs, actually. So <laughs> I have some comparison there between CLEs, and this was definitely an impressive one. Okay, and that was a, uh, like I said, it was a trucking-only multi-day seminar. Uh, Natalie, what was the presentation where you think you learned the most? Oh, and I learned the most. Um, I think the presentation that Robert Collins did about uh, what is safety for a trucking company, because when we talk about safety for a trucking company, it's such a general term, and I don't think there really is a definition. Um, well, in my mind, there wasn't really anyways. It was uh, just examples of how a company could be safe how I thought we proved a company was safe or not. Um, but Robert did a really good job of kind of going through all of the forms and all of the regulations and giving real-life examples of how a company can be safe. And uh, he also gave some great examples of responses we get a lot of times uh, and saying, that's not safety, here's safety. And he would give you know some examples in, in response to defense response. Um so I think that that was actually really interesting because it helped define what safety culture is a little bit better in my mind. So not just looking at, like, I guess an individual negligent act, but kind of at the, does this company really care about safety? Is that what you're... Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, Dylan, what's something you really got a lot out of, well, particular presentation? 
you know, there were a lot of really good presentations. I thought one that was particularly interesting to me was Ken Levinson did a presentation about representing a truck driver as a plaintiff. And I think it gives a new perspective uh, all the way around on the trucking case. First of all, because you're talking about a truck driver who follows the same rules and the same regulations maybe. on the road. Well, <laughs> maybe. Hopefully. Hopefully for the rest of us they do. Uh, but also you're you're learning a little bit more of the insight as to what it means to be a truck driver if you have that person as another source of information during the you know duration of your case and how you can lean on that person to find out more information and you know have some ideas on where to go with a case as a plaintiff and it probably works for both sides when you actually think about the person who's involved in those cases as opposed to just the nebulous idea of a truck driver and a truck yeah and so i thought he did a really good job of going into some details about how specific factors come into play when the truck driver is the plaintiff and how they might look at an accident and their responsibilities on the road differently than maybe somebody else would. Yeah, we've represented a number of truck drivers over the years, and I think one thing we found is it's, or I found, is it's really important before you make the allegations as to what the defendant did wrong is to look at your own driver's conduct and, you know, if your own driver's logs, seal violations are very inconsistent with their fuel receipts, et cetera, maybe, you know, you shouldn't go after the defendant for that. Now, I can see that you can say, well, mine wasn't, let's say your driver got ruined mine wasn't causative, it should all be excluded. I just think it's hard to go up to a judge and try to say we should get in all their violations when our client did the exact same thing. And I think we've got some real you know, hypocrisy issues we have to look out for when we're representing truck driver clients that you don't have when you have the consumer client. Absolutely. And I think that it's also very helpful, too, in thinking in that mindset in terms of trying to find a middle ground between plaintiff's counsel and defense counsel on cases. When you're not exercising that hypocrisy and everybody's trying to do the best job they can do, or at least hopefully trying to do the best job they can do to be honest about the case they have, I think it does pay dividends in making the litigation process smoother and helping us achieve justice for our clients. Yeah. So, Natalie, what's another takeaway you got of something that you learned here at the conference? Uh, even if you can't put a, you know, pinpoint exactly where you learned it, but something that you, you're going to go back and apply in your own practice. Um, well, one of the other presentations I really enjoyed was Jay Vaughn's presentation on inspecting trucks. Okay. Um, and I think my takeaway from him was that you may not know everything that you're looking at when you're at, at the site and looking at the truck, but... Um, it's important to be prepared and be prepared to ask questions. Um, don't be afraid to get under the truck and take a look at the what the expert's trying to show you. Um, try to get a real understanding of you know what's wrong with the truck if there is anything wrong with the truck. Um, but he was actually also just kind of entertaining. Yeah, um, we well, put on like the little suit he wears, like a jumpsuit or. Coveralls. Coveralls, or, yeah. yeah. He had his coveralls, and he showed us his bag of tricks that he takes. Uh, he had all sorts of measuring sticks and cones and flags. And, um, yeah, I, so, I mean, it, it, was, uh, it was good to hear some of the things that he would has, ask his experts at the site and some of the things that he takes with him. Um, and I think that maybe in the future I'll try to do the same, at least take something with me and... Um, have a little bit better idea of what kind of questions to ask. And even in a case where there's not necessarily anything mechanically wrong with the truck, are there any other reasons to go there and look at the truck and photograph it yourself? Oh, I think there's always value in looking at, you know, a truck or a scene in person. Um, 
because you can never really understand the full uh, scale of how bad a crash was or understand the circumstances of how a crash happened unless you see it there in person. So I think there's always value in going in person. I think there's a value if you can get there before they clean it up and seeing what's in the truck. I mean, are there a bunch of five-hour energy drinks? Maybe the guy was fatigued. Uh, you know, mounts for devices where maybe he had an iPad up to watch videos or something. Uh, I know it's drive cam. You know, we, don't, we get drive cams in some cases, and they're all like company drive cams. But I joined a trucking Facebook group. And I don't know why they let me in, but there's like 240,000 truckers. And a lot of them have their own drive cams. Uh, and it's interesting that we never get them litigation. I, one thing I think when you start looking for is, do they have a drive cam set up mm-hmm. in their truck? And start pushing and asking the drivers, hey, do you have your own drive cam? What would you do with that? Right. Because I think we, would, we only get them when they're unfavorable for us. Well, I'm going to jump in here, Michael. You know, when I was on the defense side and and looking at trucks, one of the first things that was taught to me was if you go to a truck inspection, look all over the truck, look under the truck, look in the truck, look where your expert's looking. One of the things I noticed as a defense attorney working trucking cases was that a lot of the plaintiff's attorneys, when they would show up at the inspection, if they showed up at all and didn't just send their inspector, is that they were dressed in suits and they were just standing back and watching what was going on. And there were definitely some defense attorneys that did the same thing too, but I think for the plaintiff side, if we're trying to tell the story of our client, we're jumping in after the first few chapters have already passed. And so when we get to the inspection of the truck, that's our first chance to really get an idea from that point forward what that story is that we're going to tell, be it, you know, in motions or in depositions or a trial. And so if we don't take that opportunity to get on the ground and get dirty, then we're missing a real chance to bring some validity and credibility to our story down the road. I agree. And yeah, don't wear a suit to truck inspection. That's <laughs> expert tip, guys, for our <laughs> listeners. Uh, Probably a good call. Yeah, I don't wear a suit unless I absolutely have to. But regardless, uh, even if you are a suit person, truck inspections are not the place to dress up. Okay, Dylan, what's something else you got where was it, you know, what's a takeaway you got that you can immediately apply it to your practice? One of the best takeaways from this particular symposium, I thought, was not only something that was presented. It was also just the, the topic in certain areas. And what I'm talking about is the use of technology. Okay. And it was very interesting to sit through three days straight with a lot of different presenters and see how different usage of technology affected the way their presentation was received by the crowd. And, of course, there's always presentations at any CLE you go to about using this PowerPoint or using an Elmo, using an IPVO, using whatever the technology might be. But when you watch even other lawyers falling asleep during a presentation where someone's just lecturing and they're not using any kind of technology, they're not using images, they're not using video, versus lawyers being active and watching even at 7.30 in the morning or 8.30 in the morning when someone uses that technology, it really brings home the idea that we need to be responding to our ever-changing society and not just giving lip service to the idea of this whole trial process is now similar to a movie production process to a certain degree. And if we're going to tell a story, we have to tell a story through the medium that our audience wants to hear, or at least our audience expects to hear and expects to see. And if we have the ability to use technology, and then the courtroom obviously has the ability to receive that technology, we should definitely take advantage of it. And I think that probably pays huge dividends for our clients. And there were definitely some really good presentations on that. Uh, Michael Leeserman, who is a preeminent trucking expert here in the country, uh, did a really good job with video and showing how he uses video not only in his 
trial situations, but also in his demands and also in deposition, everything else. And I just think that the more people that are willing to adapt their practices to accommodate those types of technological advances, uh, the better it will be for our clients. Yeah, because we can't keep other lawyers in the room awake when those lawyers are there to make money off of what they learn. How in the world are we going to keep a juror who doesn't really have anything to gain out of it other than, you know, possibly making the world a little safer place? But in general, how are we going to keep them awake? So what are some of the things you saw in presentations that you saw keep people more engaged? Well, I think video is good. You know, video is obviously an important element now that we have the ability to play that back at trial, you know, at trial settings. It obviously helps. You know, using depositions with video is important. Also adding in the ability to see documents on the deposition transcript or on the deposition video, I guess, would be a more proper way to word that when you're presenting it to a jury later on is also important. I think a lot of times we do a video deposition of whoever it is, and you know they're looking at a document, and sometimes they might hold it up to their face, but half the time the person who watches that video deposition at trial has no idea what they were looking at unless it gets you know presented as an exhibit at trial, even then it's not quite the same as when they can watch that person looking at the piece of paper or whatever that you know exhibit is in real time. I think also another thing that was really good were lawyers who would package the message so that the meat of what the audience was hearing occurred very quickly. When you have to ramble on and ramble on, kind of like I'm doing in this answer, but when you <laughs> ramble on about something, you know, you lose the audience. And I was a journalism major in college, and you pack everything into the headline in the first paragraph. And if you do that, that's what people read, and they might get the rest of your story, but chances are they're probably tuned out. I think that's really true at trial. The jury is listening for a few minutes, but then they're done. And so I think that technology allows us to edit what we're going to use. And if you really pay attention to how you're doing that editing process, you can really push that stuff to the front. And if you have some stuff that's maybe more damaging, you push farther down and kind of bury it a little bit in the presentation. It's probably good for you, but yet it's still ethical and it still falls within the boundaries of what we're allowed to do. And I think that the people using technology in that fashion are really doing a good job. Yeah, you know, I always, I learn as much from the conversations in the hallways and the breakout areas as I do from the lecturers at this point in my career and that reminds me I was having a great conversation with a group of people and Joe Freed was one of them who's an incredible trucking lawyer and he said you know one of our roles is to entertain the jurors they they, they want to be entertained some and I think that by incorporating video change of pace change of voice exhibits uh, demonstratives we can at least keep them engaged and entertained because if we don't they're going to tune out and who can blame them I actually had a juror tell me one time that he appreciated the drama of the trial. <laughs> so <laughs> he must have found it entertaining. But, yeah, I think it keeps their interest. What They say that the spoken word is the lowest form of communication, mm -hmm. right? So um, just to kind of add to what Dylan was saying, um, I appreciated everybody who talked about certain strategies and depositions or mediations, and then they would show the video to show how they um, uh, used that strategy. Um that I think I learn more in that style of presentation than any other because you hear it, but then you also see it. Yeah, it's it's hard for me to believe that we have, and we do have some, and I'm not saying at this particular conference, but at CLE conferences in general, there are so many boring presentations. And how is it that people who speak for a living, trial lawyers, try cases, give boring presentations? I mean, we should be like watching all this incredible display of oratory and technology and visuals that that's who we really are, and I think we as uh, 
lawyers that are on the speaker circuit are, should challenge ourselves to improve in that respect to give a better product. Absolutely. I know Sari de Lamont has been challenging me to do a better job uh, <laughs> working with her, and I think it's helping me. Uh, but, I mean, I think we all need to kind of think, put a little more thought into it. Now, a lot of times it's because, frankly, as a presenter, you're presenting a lot and you're uh, putting it together last minute, but we shouldn't be doing that. Each year, the law firm of Cowan Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide on trucking, commercial motor vehicle, and product liability cases. If you have a case involving death or catastrophic injuries and would like to partner with our firm, please contact us. We would be honored to review the case in detail, discuss where we believe we can add value, and create a mutually beneficial partnership. You can reach Delisi Friday by calling 210-941-1301 or send an email to podcast at triallawyernation.com. She will coordinate a time for Michael Cowan to speak with you in person or by phone to discuss the case in detail. And now, back to the show. And can I add, Michael, that I really actually very much enjoyed your presentation as well. Thank you. Um, because you have such a way to break things down simply. Um, and you used pictures and a PowerPoint to keep our attention, but when you're explaining things, the way you explain them, it, it makes it so simple and easy to understand, and so it's much easier to tune in to somebody who presents that way, so I, I appreciated that. Well, 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 thank you. I had a, and I actually worked with Sari de because I'm working with her in, in, in general. She's been a guest on the podcast and was a speaker at the seminar, uh, and I was supposed to work with her on something, and I didn't have the trial coming up, so I actually worked on my presentation, and and I took it as a challenge because I had a really boring topic. Mine was on you know, protective orders and and confidentiality and discovery and settlement, which is, you know, can be a real snoozer. And so the challenge was, how do you make this something? How do you communicate the importance? Because it's a very important topic. And so how do you charge people up that they need to go fight against these things that it is important to them, and at the same time making a fairly dull legal subject entertaining? And so that was my challenge for the day. And you know, I think by using nonverbal communication and, and voice inflection, but also by incorporating video, showing how I did it, incorporating images. I actually had some sound effects in the PowerPoint. Uh, you know, I tried to make it less boring. Aside from your own presentation. <laughs> no, Michael, you talked about your presentation and the work you put in. I know this was kind of a working session for you, but was there anybody you saw that you know really impressed you or something you really learned you're kind of that third level of experience you were talking about at the beginning of the podcast i am and you know it's uh, it's an interesting thing because i a lot of the seminars i go to are the same speakers on and the same topics because i do a lot of trucking work and there is a kind of a limited body of knowledge within trucking especially at a non-super advanced course uh, but i always think if i get two or three takeaways uh, it was worth doing and so i will say that uh Pete Kester, and I actually it was the second time I heard him give the talk, and I, I knew I caught something and didn't write it down quickly enough the first time, and I got it the second, which was on how certain check boxes on the bill of lading showed who was paying for it, for, for the shipment, whether there was a broker, you know, who was going to be the one communicating with the trucking carrier, uh, whether the trucker was hired directly. I mean, a little bitty thing, but to me that was so important because it's something new that I didn't know before. Uh, you know, Rena Leeserman, anytime I can hear her speak, she's brilliant. Uh, and since I'm getting ready to do another truck broker case, and she gave an update on the law on, on broker and shipper cases, uh, to me that was just a really valuable thing to have because it saved me, you know, literally tens of hours of 
legal research myself by hearing her her do it for me. I always love to hear Mike Leeserman and Joe Freed. Uh, you know, just people who really inspire me uh, to go take that next level. Andy Young, uh, not just because of the, and I'm hoping to get him on the podcast. We're working on our scheduling issues, but Andy's a lawyer out of Ohio, uh, but he's not just like a lawyer to make money. He is truly passionate. He's spends time lobbying the legislature, trying to change the laws to make the roads safer. He actually drives a truck because he builds race cars and then as drives the race car to the track so other people can race it. Uh, he just really is a true, true believer and it's just inspiring to hear him and to be around him. Uh, a bunch of other people who are my friends so I don't want to, you know, I don't want to leave anybody out. But I mean, just right off the top of my head, those are a few that really worked for me. I don't remember who it was, but somebody gave a presentation about the bona fide agent. Um, and it's kind of, it's one of those regulations that we probably look at almost every day and never really think about. But I, however they explained it uh, really stuck with me and made sense. And I went back and looked at all my cases and wanted to see if I could find a bona fide agent. Uh, and that is, you know, when, when is someone acting as an agent for someone else so that the principal is liable? I mean, it's really... And the reason that, so for our listeners, the reason that becomes important is in trucking cases, a lot of times we have massive damages and we have a little mom and pop company or now with, you know, we're having some like Spirit Risk Retention Group uh, went, out, it went into insolvency and because they're a risk retention group, not an insurance company, there's no state guarantee fund. So for those cases, if the trucking company is the only target, there's no coverage. And most of those companies have no assets. And so, you know, looking for... Well, was it another motor carrier that was really hiring them to do it? Was it a broker that was really hiring them to do it, but they became had a principal-agent relationship legally under the regulations? That becomes huge because then you got another source of recovery. Well, I know, Michael, you and I have a case we're working on together where we have you know one of those situations. And I think that this conference was really good for just hearing other people that have problems yeah. and have issues and getting a chance to find out maybe not even experienced attorneys, maybe inexperienced attorneys, people who've never even handled a trucking case that just want someone to talk to. And so I know a lot of people will look at something like an annual symposium for the Academy of Truck Accident Attorneys and think, well, I maybe have two trucking cases. Why would that benefit me? But there's a lot of benefit there. And I was involved in multiple conversation groups with people that I was meeting for the very first time where all they wanted was somebody to bounce an idea off of. There's so many, so many attorneys that even if they're working in a large office, they're still kind of a lone wolf within their office trying to do their work. They maybe have a legal assistant and a partner they get to talk to on occasion, and they just need some advice. And sometimes it's just another mind, even a non-legal mind that can tell them, oh, yeah, well, hey, here's an angle you might, you might go and pursue. And so for someone who's never been to a symposium like this or thinks that this is you know, beyond the scope of what they're ready to do, I thought it was, you know, very useful for every level of practice experience. And I think that a lot of people that maybe didn't think they were going to get something out of it that did attend ended up getting a lot out of it if they actually listened and paid attention and engaged with other lawyers that were there. And I think the networking aspect, you're right, is so important. And you can you you find your group and your group, if you stick with it, matures over time. And so you, you know, like right now I get to network with other people that are at the, I'm kind of at the top of the trucking game. And so when I have an issue, there's something sticky coming up or I don't need to find an expert or uh, an issue about other states' law, I can make a phone call or an email and get an answer right away. Whereas 10 years ago, I had my group of people that were up and coming and we were trading ideas on the kind of cases we're holding then too. And I think it's 
the conversations and the relationships you make and then you keep over the years going these things, I think, are probably more important than the actual content of the uh, seminar. You know, and on that subject, I think even, you know, if you talk about different levels, even the even those individuals, including yourself, that are, you know, considered the very top of the trucking lawyer industry on the plaintiff side, they're willing to share information. And that's one of the things I think I've been most impressed by, and it is a difference between the plaintiff side and the defense side. And, you know, there's some obvious reasons for how that that develops. But on the plaintiff side, what I found is it doesn't matter who the person is or what level of experience they have. You know, as long as they're a reasonably decent, nice, kind person, they're willing to share information. I'm sure there's some exceptions out there, but it doesn't hurt to ask. This is not a, you ask a question, you're just hoping to get an answer. Someone's going to give you an answer, and you'll probably get 10 or 15 answers if you ask 10 or 15 people. And I think that's a real impressive aspect of, you know, not only the plaintiff's bar, but in particular, this organization is very good about working with each other and making sure that whoever needs information gets that information. And usually you're going to get that information from someone who has so much more experience than you do and has probably dealt with the issue, you know, umpteen times before. Yeah, it is a real culture of sharing. And, you know, a lot of it has to do with the kind of the philosophy of Mike Luserman and Joe Freed who started the organization. Because they could have easily made it an organization where they were the permanent leaders. People still would have gone uh, and made it about them and them being all the superstars and they actually created a nonprofit. They actually created a, an actual independent board that elects presidents that are not them. Uh, and you know, I've, I've have a lot of respect for them for doing that. And it really is all about you know sharing. And if you try to say, well, bring me in your case and I'll answer your question, well, then you're not going to be welcome in that group. And it's a it's a beautiful thing. I want to kind of segue into another topic. How does and you mentioned you've also gone to seminars with your defense lawyer. How does the how does it compare? I've never been to a defense lawyer seminar, so any similarities, any differences, contrasts? I don't know that the defense really has any seminars like that. Uh, like Dylan said, they don't really share. They're not up for sharing any information with each other. Um, the only uh, thing that I can think was similar was a two-day CLE that I went to, but uh, there was no... I mean, this is definitely different in the sense that there is a community and sharing. Uh, at the defense seminar, it was you show up, you clock in, you have lunch, and then you leave. Okay. Um, so, yeah, just kind of going on what you guys were talking about a second ago is there really is like a community out here to, to support you if you need it. There's not that on the defense side. Any idea why, what the difference is? Um... My thought is that the defense, they, nobody wants to share because they're always fighting for clients. Um, if I share my secret with Dylan about um, you know, how to defeat a certain case, he's going to use that secret and he's going to win my client over to him. He may offer to you know, bill at a smaller or less hourly rate um, for the same product that I'm putting out. So I think that's why the defense aren't the defense isn't as up for sharing as the plaintiff side. You know, a lot of a lot of defense firms, I think, are in a race to the bottom right now on fees. That's what I saw a lot of. And Natalie's right. There's there's not sharing because of that concern that someone else is going to do it better for the same fee, or maybe a little bit worse, but for a little less money, and that's worth it to the insurance company. And most CLEs, it's not the defense attorneys who are sharing information. It is almost always someone who does something else. There are some defense organizations, but they're not 
anywhere close to as organized as the various plaintiffs organizations and, and that is because those that have the good clients want to keep the good clients and they have them over and over again and they're just not willing to share but i think it also you know continuing on that segue it helps the plaintiff side not just because we can share information but also because it it gives you an idea of the mindset of the defense attorney who probably is out on a limb and if they don't have someone in their firm who has seen the issue before and you have some very experienced attorneys who are either in your firm or in some group that you're a part of that can give you advice, you're going to be a step ahead on the law. You're going to be a step ahead in the terms of how you're going to present the arguments in front of a judge, be it a hearing, or even a trial in front of a jury. And that will allow you to you know, put pressure to get cases settled and or do something at trial that allows you to get the best verdict for your client. And you know it is a it is a big benefit to being on you know this side of the docket, so to speak, that you have that type of atmosphere and that collegial atmosphere is is really omnipresent across the plaintiffs bar, in particular in this organization that we you know went to this particular symposium for. What's some advice you'd give to somebody who's going to go to like a plaintiff side CLE for the first time, either a new lawyer or someone that's just crossing over from the defense side? Well, I could say what I would do differently the next time I go to the symposium is I wouldn't be afraid to ask questions. Um, there's a little bit of an intimidation factor with um, people up there presenting. They've got many, many years' experience. They've got huge verdicts under their belt. They're you know, very busy people in my mind. But um, I noticed when they'd come off the stage, they were always willing to talk to anybody who approached them about any little issue they may be having, something related to the presentation they gave. Um, and so that's something that I would do differently next time is – if I have a question about something, I'll just ask them because that's what they're there to do. They're there to share. You know, I, I would add that not only are there a lot of people that you can ask questions to, I think on the plaintiff side in particular, you have such a wide variety of backgrounds. You know, you mentioned Andy Young and the fact that he, you know, he has a truck and he has a racing team. And, you know, there's just so many people that are coming from so many different places. One of the things I was thinking about a few minutes ago uh, as we were talking was that I keep using the word particular a lot. You know, my background is a speech and debate coach before I became an attorney. And so oftentimes I will find myself correcting myself in, you know, word usage and hand motions and things like that, you know, sorry de Lamotte type you know, speaking refinements. And I think that on the plaintiff side, because everyone is willing to share, you can probably find somebody who has some experience in some area that maybe isn't just how do you handle this particular case that can give you some advice or can sit down with you and be willing to spend some time. How does my opening sound? How does my closing sound? And so when you go to these symposiums and or really any CLE and you're a plaintiff's lawyer and you get the chance to talk to other plaintiff's lawyers who I think we all go on to the plaintiff's side of the bar with the idea that we're going to help somebody. Uh, there are obviously other reasons, too, that come into play. But for the most part, we have a goal to make you know life better for our clients or at least try to get them as close to back to the location they were, the place they were before whatever it was happened to them happened. And so I think that general you know internal drive is one of trying to help, of trying to do good. And when you have those sorts of people all working together and you're willing to go talk to those people, you'll find out that there are lots of different ways they can help you. They go well beyond just the obvious, oh, they have experience with a bona fide agent or they have experience with an 18-wheeler case. And so I think someone going for the first time, uh, you talked about it earlier, talk to people, network, and find out what 
might be able to help you in your practice and help your clients? And also, what might you be willing to give or might you be able to assist someone that maybe has a lot more experience but doesn't have experience in your particular area or your particular background? And I think that's one of the beauties of this particular side of the bar. Yeah, the only thing I'd add, you know, just definitely go to the social events, talk to people in the hallway. You know, those of us that speak, we love it. We love people to come and talk to us. We love people to come ask us questions. Uh, you know, that's one. That's part of why we go there. We want to network, but two, it just it feels good. I mean, it's neat to have people come up to you and you feel like a D-list celebrity or something. <laughs> uh, so you know, we all. Uh, so I, I would, I would definitely, do, and follow up. I mean, follow up by email. Try to create relationships because there's just nothing like having, you know, someone more experienced mentor you, especially if you're you're not at a firm where you have someone to do that or. Even at our firm, and there's eight of us, but we're all so busy, we don't spend the time I wish we could uh, helping each other and kind of kicking ideas around with each other because we're all out of the office doing depositions and hearings. Uh, so that's you know, just the way life is when we're all busy. So having those other people to talk to is really helpful. Bouncing ideas seems to really help. You know, and you talked about going to the social events. I think also it gives us a chance to meet with all the the people that are sponsoring these, the exhibitors, the, the the people that are helping us in the background to be plaintiff's lawyers. And sometimes you might meet somebody that you have never talked to before or seen their marketing materials before because maybe their marketing presence isn't great and you find out, wow, that would be a really good person to use in future cases. And you also get a chance to screen these people without paying tens of thousands of dollars to have them work on a case for you and find out that the work they're doing maybe isn't the work you want. And a lot of times it's those social events at these symposiums, at these CLEs, where you do get the chance to talk to these individuals and find out what they're really all about. And I think that's really helpful, too, on both sides. Yeah, absolutely. You find out all kinds of neat things. and get neat. I mean, that's where I came up with a lot of our graphics ideas because I'd go walk around the exhibit halls and see what other vendors are out there doing, and you get some ideas on what you can do. And then on experts, just, you know, part of it, if, if they annoy you having a conversation down the hallway, they're probably going to annoy you. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, Natalie and Dylan, thank you so much. I hopefully we'll have you guys on for another episode, but thanks for sharing your experiences. I just thought it would be useful to have, you know, people here from different levels of experience because we have all kinds of different levels of and in our audience I'm finding out from talking to people. So thank you all for tuning in today on Trial Lawyer Nation. Thank you for joining us on Trial Lawyer Nation. I hope you enjoyed our show. If you're listening to this episode on a mobile device, please click on Ratings and Review and leave our show a five-star rating and write a review. And if you're listening to this episode from our website, please leave a five-star rating on the episode page. We'd love to reach more listeners, and doing this will help more attorneys find this podcast. You can also visit our website at www.triallawyernation.com to opt into our mailing list so you can stay updated on our new episodes. I promise we won't spam you. And thanks to your feedback, we've improved our podcast website. There's now a resources tab that you can click that shows you all the books we've mentioned on our podcast. If you have a Facebook account, please send us a request to join our private group called Trial Lawyer Nation Insider Circle. This exclusive group will allow you to hear about our guests before an episode airs, interact with the show, and get a sneak peek at some of the behind the scenes moments. I love to hear from all of you, and our Table Talk episodes are based solely on questions from our fans. So please continue to send us emails at podcast at Thanks for tuning in, and I look forward to having you with us next time on Trial Lawyer Nation.
Each year, the law firm of Cowan Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide on trucking, commercial motor vehicle, and product liability cases. If you have a case involving death or catastrophic injuries and would like to partner with our firm, please contact us. We would be honored to review the case in detail, discuss where we believe we can add value, and create a mutually beneficial partnership. You can reach Delisi Friday by calling 210-941-1301 or send an email to podcast at triallawyernation.com. She will coordinate a time for Michael Cowan to speak with you in person or by phone to discuss the case in detail. This podcast has been hosted by Michael Cowan and is not intended to, nor does it create the attorney-client privilege between our hosts, guests, or contributors and any listener for any reason. Content from the podcast is not to be interpreted as legal advice. All thoughts and opinions expressed herein are only those from which they came.